This is the Behind the Micah podcast, where we discuss Jesus, community, and everyday life. I'm your host, Micah Stephen, and our goal is always to take people from where they are to where they need to be. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to Behind the Micah podcast. This is a special episode. I say that on every one, I feel like, but this is a super special episode for, for, for multiple reasons. A big reason is, is because we're halfway to 30. This is number 15. And uh, my goal coming into this podcast was I'm going to make 30 episodes and kind of regroup from there and see where it goes. And today, uh, I have a friend of mine on here. Uh, he is the teaching minister over at uh, Capital City Christian Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. And his name is Frank Geringer. Frank, thanks for uh, jumping on the show today. Hey, man. Appreciate you having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. So uh, me and Frank, uh, we met for the first time in the back of a Suburban. This and, is true. And uh, sounds kind of like a drug deal or something that was going down, but it wasn't a drug deal. No, it was not a drug deal. Um, we were driving in a in an interesting part of uh, just outside of Orlando. That's for sure. But we were we met in sunny Florida yeah. for a, uh, a little leadership retreat. Anyway, I remember that Keith Woods was driving us around. And <laughs> of course, it was amazing, though. It was amazing because you and I. We didn't know each other from Adam, yeah. but we knew so many of the same people. So it was nice to connect. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, Keith had uh, talked to me about this conference, man. He's like, man, we need to go. And so uh, the good thing about being in Indiana is that Keith Wood is in Indiana. So Keith's like, hey, man, come up and crash with me the night before. We'll fly. Yeah. And we get off the plane, man. And Keith's like, what car do you think we should rent when we get off this plane? And I said, let's get a Suburban. So he gets this Suburban, man. And we go to this, I don't even know where, was it a hotel? I think it was a hotel. Yeah, just, yeah. And, uh, and, and then all these guys keep getting in the Suburban with us. Like, guys, mm-hmm. I don't know. So Keith, man, he's Keith. Shout out to Keith Wood right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was fun. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so, so that was an awesome time. Actually, I was just, we, we just got done talking about this. I think this is, I think I can, I can say this on here. Um, I think I had COVID during that time. I think, uh, I was like hacking up a lung and all this stuff while we were down in Florida. And that was, I was like, I think I had COVID before COVID was a thing. And, um, <laughs> that's one of the things I remember, but that was kind of like the last normalcy that we had before. Yeah. Gosh, if we would have known when we were down in Florida that that was all coming, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if that would have changed our plans or, or what. I don't I don't know. It was it is weird to think about that, especially after, you know, sitting on a year later. It's so weird to think about, like, what did we do before COVID? And 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 to think about all the, the trips, we to, ah, man, it's it's that's wild to think about. So one of the things that I. uh one of the things that I got to know with Frank, not only does he love Jesus, and that's one of the reasons why we were able to connect so easily, but he's also a baseball fan, man. And, 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 yeah. and I, and he, I will say this, this is episode 15. He is not the first Yankees fan that's hopped on here. Um, but, but Frank lives in Missouri and he's a Yankees fan. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, you know what? I just, you know, I just realized this year I have lived in Missouri just as long as I lived on the East Coast. And so I just I just reached that point 
Um, and pretty soon I'll have lived in the Midwest more than I've lived on the East Coast. But all my family is from New York and New Jersey. So everybody is New York Yankees fans through and through. And it, <clears throat> it didn't hurt that growing up, baseball was my favorite sport. Yeah. And in 1996, I'm a little leaguer, 10 years old, and I play shortstop for my little league team. And all yeah. of a sudden that year, the shortstop wearing the number two jersey started his rookie season for the Yankees, a guy by the name of Derek Jeter. So I like it. All of that was the perfect storm, you know. And uh, even though I live out here in Cardinals and Royals country, um, that's not gonna that's not gonna change my true Yankee spirit. Atta boy, out of boy. Listen, I'm I'm okay with that because look, I, I live even though I still live in Indiana. I'm in a part of Indiana where, uh, and I said I've alluded this on the on the episodes uh, earlier, but I am in St. Louis Cardinal. I mean, most of the people here are St. Louis Cardinal fans. I'm about three hours from St. Louis, um, yeah. about the same distance as Cincinnati. And so I came here, and, uh, man, everybody's, like, hating on my Cincinnati red love, and uh, they're trying to change my kids, trying to get my oldest son to be a Cardinal fan and all oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I uh, I can't I can't handle it. But I do know this: um, the Reds are in first place right now, and the Cardinals and the Yankees are in last. Well, they are, <laughs> they are. But I don't I don't hate. Look, the Yankees, and I know we're, I don't want to get too much off topic, but yeah. but but the Yankees are uh, the Dodgers are starting to make me like the Yankees used to anger me a little bit because there's no salary cap in baseball, and the Yankees right. spend all this, and then the Reds here are a small market. You know, Can't do it. and now, uh, now the Dodgers have like a crazy $250 million payroll, man. Yeah. And you got the Pittsburgh Pirates who are rolling out with 40 million. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man. So, so, uh, do you claim, I guess you still claim the Northeast. Uh, you say, Hey, I, this, that's my home. That's, that's, um, yeah. Where I was from, you know, I was talking to somebody this weekend about it and they were asking, if I'm from the New England area, and really it's not New England. Like I, I was, um, I was raised um, about 45 minutes south of Philadelphia, and uh, it's pretty much directly across. So we don't consider ourselves New England, but we don't consider ourselves the South either. So it's kind of an in between. But yeah, that's home. That's home for me. I hear you. So. Tell me a little bit about um, how you got into ministry and tell, tell me how, first of all, tell me how many years you've been in ministry and then kind of tell me how, what, what kind of directed your path into where you are today. Yeah, I, um, I have been um, on staff in some capacity here at Capital City. I'm, I just started my 17th year um, on staff here. Um, it has been my only, uh, my only full-time ministry. Um that I've been in. Um, I started when I was a junior in college working part-time here. And then they hired me full-time when I graduated. And so, um, I have, I started as a worship leader and then I transitioned into some discipleship stuff. And then for the past six years, I've been full-time preaching. And, uh, so it feels like I've had multiple jobs, but I've been at the same location, you know? And, uh, and so, but no, growing up, um, I, um, I was raised, my home church was very, very passionate about, um, developing young leaders and giving them opportunities. And it was kind of like a training ground. And so I was very thankful that at a young age, um, I had some of my, um, some of my pastors at my home church took me under their wing, um, 
you know, taught me how to write Bible lessons, gave me opportunities to teach, gave me opportunities to lead, you know, music, just doing whatever I could. Um, my parents were both very um, involved in serving. It was just a part of who we were and the DNA of our family. And so pretty much at a young age, I decided I wanted to go into full-time ministry. And I made that decision around 15 um, because I had a friend of mine who I played baseball with all my life, um, who his family was, they weren't, they weren't Jesus people. Um, but when I was in high school, they started coming to our church and um, the, their family gave their lives to Jesus. They were baptized. They started getting involved. And I just, I just watched this like transformation take place like firsthand. And I, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world to see people's lives being changed for the good and for them getting to a point where they were living for something way bigger than themselves, you know, and, and, and had this whole kind of kingdom focus. And it just, it transformed their family and being able to watch that kind of up close because he was a good buddy of mine. Yeah. Um, I just came to the conclusion, <clears throat> why would I not want to do this with my life? You know, and just be yeah. a part of, of, of that. And so I kind of made a decision pretty early that I wanted to go into full-time ministry um, in some capacity. I didn't know what that looked like, but when I was, um, thinking about, um, going to Bible college and, and going to seminary and all of that. Um, when I graduated high school on the East coast, there were not many options. You know, you kind of had to go to the Bible belt. And, uh, and so a couple of my, um, preachers from my home church, both graduated from Cincinnati Christian university. Yeah. And so I, I took a trip out there and visited the school there. Um, and then when I was a senior in high school, a good buddy of mine found out about this small Bible college in the middle of Missouri. And uh, he told me a, a little bit about it, but the thing about um, uh, it's called central Christian college of the Bible and central um, they have, their mission is to raise up um, leaders for the church, but they want to do that. And they want to get people out into ministry and out into serving and in the kingdom. Um, but they want to, their mission is to do that, getting kids out and students out without having much school debt. And so yeah, their good. mission is, hey, if you get accepted and they can only accept a small amount of students, but basically your tuition is covered via scholarship. So yeah. if you get in, you know, because of donations and because of churches that support them, all of your credit hours are covered and you just, you know, you pay for fees and room and board. And their whole goal is to get get people out into ministry without having the weight of school debt. And um, I kind of really like that idea. And so I said, you know what, I'll try it. So. I moved to Missouri. I turned 17 and a week later moved to Missouri. Wow. And the and the rest is history. So so anyway. And here you are, man. Jefferson. City. And here I am still in Jefferson City. Like I said, yeah, connected to the church here um, when I was a junior and started part-time um, for a couple of years and then went full-time. So I just started my 17th year here. So y'all are kind of in the middle of the state, correct? Is that right? Yeah, pretty much smack dab middle. We got um Kansas City, two hours west. St. Louis, two hours east. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So, so what do they claim? What do people claim in Jefferson City? Do they claim Kansas City or St. Louis? Um, it's it's split. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty much split half and half. Um, the uh, I would say they're more they're more Cardinals than Royals here um, fans, but um, 
when the Rams left, everybody, you know, went to the then gym. shifted. And of course, when Patrick Mahomes started throwing for a Kansas yeah. City team, everybody, you know, started leaning that way. But yeah, I would say it's pretty much half and half. I've never been to Kansas City in my life, but I have been to St. Louis. And uh, yeah. St. Louis is a cool city, man. Uh, all things baseball aside, St. Louis is a cool city. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Except for the fact that uh, I think. Uh, maybe the last time I was there, I was I was headed out to preach in the, um, not far from there um, mm-hmm. for a week, and uh, me and my family stopped in St. Louis for the night, and I got a hotel room um, on the east side of St. Louis. I didn't know that, right? I, I didn't know that's a bad side of town, man. So yeah. a buddy of mine was like, "Dude, you stayed on the east side of St. Louis with your family?" <laughs> I'm like. Yeah, man. So uh, the things the things you learn as you go about. Right. Yeah. But it is a really cool city. Um, I, I love St. Louis. I think it's a uh, we love their zoo. Their zoo's free, which is. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. Nice. like it's not like a, you would think like if it being free, it's not very good. But it is. Yeah, we, we it's a great day trip to go over there and go to the zoo. It's beautiful. For sure. For sure. Well, so, uh, so you, so you end up, you go through central, uh, sounds like a good, uh, a good program where you're able yeah. to come out with, with dead and, and which is awesome, which I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just now paying some of my college off, which is mm-hmm. crazy to think about, but yeah. you, you end up there, um, and had no idea about anything other in, in Missouri other than this college, right? You just, yeah, yeah, no, that was it. And it was, it was really, I mean, it was really culture shock. I mean, I did not know that you could drive for more than 20 minutes without seeing anything. Um, I mean, I I grew up, I grew, you could drive an an hour and you could hit Philadelphia, Washington, DC, Richmond, Virginia, Baltimore, you know, and and New York, New York city was like two hours away. Anyway, like two and a half, three hours away. So I did not know you could drive 20 minutes without seeing anything. So that was, that was really culture shock. And then maybe the biggest culture shock for me, my, um, my freshman year, we were going over, um, one of the professors invited a few of us over for dinner. And so my my friend and I are driving to this professor's house and we turn on what I thought was the professor's driveway. And we start driving (laughs) and I look over at my buddy and I look at his speedometer. He's driving 40 miles an hour on this professor's (laughs) driveway. And I'm like, dude. And then I look up and see a street sign. And I was like, is this a road? And it was the first gravel road I had driven on in my entire life. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know they existed. I was like, that's horse and buggy type yeah. stuff. Man, yeah. no, we were rock anyway. And so I had my first experience on a, on gravel, a gravel road. road. I was like, I got to drive on a gravel road because I want to feel that fishtailing, you know, action. And yeah. so that, I think that was the biggest culture shock for me, but Anyway, wow. but it, it was all good. You know, looking back on it, I really, you know, you, it, we talk a lot about, you know, God's providence and, and the sovereignty of God and that upper story of God going on when we, yeah. we have no idea, you know, and when I look back on it, it is just unreal to see, you know, where God was leading and why, you know, why certain things were happening. And, uh, and every time I look back on it like that, you know, cause I think about it, you know, I, I grew up five miles from the Atlantic ocean. So about as far East as you can get. Yeah. I grew up you know, in high school. My buddies and I were all, you know, beach bums and hanging out at the boardwalk and, sure. and now I live in the middle of the Midwest. And like, I, sometimes I ponder about, you know, that the, the narrative of how I even got here. Yeah. And it, I mean, for me personally, it just, it just makes my faith even stronger as I, as I, as I see the providence of God, even in my own story. And so, but yeah, 
loving it though. Do you ever get, do you ever get back out, see family and all that on the East coast? And Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, uh, my parents still live there. A lot of siblings still live there. Um, and, uh, so we get out there a couple times a year. Um, and it's great because my parents, again, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice place to go, especially on a little vacation because, you know, the ocean's there. And so, so yeah, we, we, we get out a couple times a year, but, and it's, it's kind of cool. I have some of my siblings that actually, cause I'm older, I'm, I come from a big family. I'm second oldest of 11 children. Good. Um, and so I have, um, my a younger brother came out after I graduated he actually went to central and he preaches at a church just an hour away with his oh, family. So then good. I had a sister, a sister came out and she went to the college Bible college and she actually lives here in town now. And anyway, wow. so it's kind of cool. Some of them have migrated this way. A bit. Yeah, that's awesome. So you got family yeah. close to you, uh, you know, and so you're not yeah. like, I, I, I got you. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's so, good. It's good. So, so, um, yeah. So, so you come out to the Midwest or you go to, you go to school out here, you land this job, go back to college for just a moment and yeah. talk about, you know, you, you talk about probably wrote a lot of papers and did a lot of stuff in college. Um, did you ever struggle with procrastination? Like was, was <laughs> it ever, was it ever one of those things where, or were you the kind of guy who's like, Hey man, I'm going to get my papers done. Uh, they're due tomorrow. I'm going to start on them yeah. tonight. Or was it one of those things where, man, you were well in advance. I like to say um, I never struggled with procrastination because I was really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Never struggled with it because I was just good at procrastinating. And, uh, and so I, um, you know, it really was for me, it was kind of a, it was a, I think it was a, a tale of kind of two halves that when I started, I was, I was, um, the first kid to go away to college for my parents. Um, and, you know, I kind of had this, like wanted to, wanted to make them proud. And so I remember my first semester, I was like, especially when it came to schoolwork, I was like on top of it, you know, making sure I was, you know, and, um, and then I, and then second semester came and, you know, just like with anything, the more familiar, comfortable you get with an environment or with, you know, you know, classroom environment or you know different projects or whatever then you start getting a little lax and you know as a college student you know you're hanging out in the dorm with a bunch of buddies and you got video games and you got a gym to go play ball in and and uh no it definitely procrastination um definitely became a battle to wrestle with um in college and i think that um I think that just, I mean, I don't even think it was an age thing. I just, I think it's a human nature thing, but cause I really do think that procrastination, it, it was really, I think it's a habit that we develop, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I think there've been seasons of my life, no matter where I'm at or, you know, what environment or what age where I have kind of fell into the habit of procrastination, but then there've been other seasons where um, I've, I've been able to develop some other habits that avoid it, but it's just kind of, for me, it's, it, it, it's kind of almost cyclical and it goes in ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think probably, um, for me, a lot of, a lot of like the procrastination stage was just, um, it, I don't know. It's like, almost like I thrived on that last minute stuff and sometimes I would pay for it. Right. But, yeah. uh, but a buddy of mine always told me, he said, Hey man, whatever you write, save it. Right. Cause you never know when you're going to be able to use that paper again in another class, you know, right. 
you save it. So, you know, how many times can I, you know, use, you know, uh, the, uh, the effects of smoking in college, you know, like yeah. I wrote a 12 page paper on the effects of smoking and, and, you know, I, here I am in like anthropology class trying to, you know, somehow twist this put it in there. smoking in there, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I think, I think it's even a problem even today. I mean, people procrastinate a lot and, and there's a story that I want to look at in Exodus chapter eight, that most people probably listening are familiar with this story. And yeah. if you guys haven't heard the story, you, you, the story of where the Israelites and Moses, uh, Moses's uh, people are in, in slavery uh, to the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And, uh, and, and so God says, Hey, uh, Moses, you, you and uh, your brother go, go get my people out of, out of Egypt and, and, and bring them out of slavery and, yeah. And uh, one of the ways in which he does that is he sends these plagues, right? To to kind of to kind of you know show Pharaoh, hey, listen, man, do what I say, or there's going to be consequences, right? And so uh, the first the first thing happens, you know, Moses and Aaron they say, hey, you know, we're going to be nice, kind of kind of good cop before the bad cop comes, you know, and hey, you you, you look, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I ain't going to do it. Uh, he sends this plague where all the water turns to blood and uh and it was kind of god's way of saying hey look man i'm serious about this like this isn't an option right Uh, but in in exodus chapter eight comes the next plague and this plague um which they're all pretty crazy i mean if you think the bible is boring um read Exodus eight. you haven't read it yeah yeah i mean this this is crazy to think about and 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 god sends a plague of frogs and we're not just talking like a couple frogs here and there man we're talking frogs literally everywhere i mean we're talking you know frogs in your bed frogs in your ovens frogs in your you know you the, where you go to the rest of your toilets man there's mm-hmm. frogs literally everywhere and um how do you how do, are you a frog guy you like frogs did you see frogs you know east coast yeah yeah absolutely i don't i didn't i don't mind frogs at all yeah not one, not one of the animals that, that I get weirded out about. Um, snakes are really the only animals I get weirded uh-huh. out about. I don't mind, I don't mind frogs. I like them. Yeah. You ever had frog legs? I have. Yeah. We had a family reunion and somebody cooked up frog legs and I love trying crazy stuff. So I at least tried them. They weren't that bad either. Yeah. I, but I, I don't think, I think with anything, I don't, uh, I don't think I would have enjoyed them in mass quantities like this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this this was definitely a problem, right? I mean, it wasn't like like I said, it wasn't just a a little bit. And so he sends he sends these frogs in essence to say, "Listen, um I'm still waiting for you to let my people go, and since you're not, here's this." And so and so Moses he goes back to Pharaoh. Um essentially, you can go to uh verse 8. Uh, of chapter eight, which says Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. Pharaoh got to a point where he was done, right? He was done with this. And, and man, look, I, I probably would have been done when my water turned to blood. Um, that might've, that might've been a game changer for me, but it wasn't for him. And he says, Hey, look, yeah. I want you to get rid of these frogs, please. You know, I'll let your people go. Just come and take the frogs. Uh, and Moses kind of says, all right, balls in your court. You tell us when you want this to happen. Right. You let us know. 
and we will get rid of these frogs. And you, it says you and your houses in verse, uh, verse nine, second part of verse nine says, then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs and they will only remain in the Nile river. And then verse 10 is probably one of the saddest verses or strangest verses in the entire Bible. I'm not saying it's the one, but it's definitely one of them where, where Pharaoh's response is, Hey, I'll do it, do it tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. The, the, one of the first times we see procrastination at its finest. Yeah. In the Bible, right. Where, where Pharaoh has the opportunity to lose what he lose. He could lose these frogs and he could, they could go back to the Nile river. You ever wonder why Pharaoh said tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why do you think, why do you think Pharaoh was like, Hey, um, yeah, I, I want you to get rid of these frogs. Moses says, okay, do it. And then Pharaoh says tomorrow. Why, why do you think he said that? <laughs> I, um, I think, first of all, if I, I just think about Pharaoh himself and I put, put myself in his shoes, um, you know, you think about it from a leadership standpoint. There are times in every leader's life where you have to make a decision and the decision that you make is going to affect a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And I mean, just think about, especially if you, if you were, if you led in any kind of capacity in a, in an organization, in a, you know, in a church, if you've led in a business environment, especially over this past year, you had to make some decisions that you knew were going to affect a lot of different people. And a lot of different people would feel differently about the decision you made. Oh, for sure. Um, and so sometimes it's almost, it's almost a procrastination, I think, almost becomes like a cop-out to, de- if you delay the decision, then you delay the consequences that are going to come your way because of the decision. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe that's what Pharaoh was feeling. Maybe he's feeling a lot of pressure. He's obviously feeling pressure from Moses and Aaron. Yeah. He's yeah. feeling pressure from his, probably his own inner counsel and his family. And I'm sure he's, and, and so a lot of times when you're feeling that pressure and you're feeling stress, I think stress is really for many of us is a trigger for procrastination to take place, you know, because again, we don't, we don't procrastinate about, it's not the work or the paper that needs to be written or the, the decision that needs to be made. The procrastination I think comes as a result of a trigger in most situations for many of us, it's I'm stressed out about something. So my pattern is I'm going to avoid it and I'm going to procrastinate. And then I get a little reward. It's only temporary, but it's this little relief of, you know, that stress that I'm feeling. So I think maybe Pharaoh as a leader here is trying to delay a decision because maybe he's not hundred percent sure, but maybe he's just not ready to deal with the consequences, consequences of whatever decision he makes. Absolutely. I, you know, and, and this is something that's so true even today, as you kind of were, were just referring to, man, this is, I, I think we, we still have those decisions where we, it's like, it's like we fear, you know, whichever direction we go, you know, we want to make sure that it's the right one. And we're not always hundred percent certain it is the right one and right. So dealing with, the, you know, there, there are consequences either way. And, yeah. uh, and, and Pharaoh is certainly struggling with that, you know, although uh, I would, I would, 
tend to say that probably most people in Egypt are going, look, dude, just get rid of the, I mean, let them go, man. These frogs are driving me nuts. And sometimes when we're in those moments, whether they believe that or not, they're like, look, we'll figure out another, I got to think they're thinking, Hey, we will figure out another plan. Right. 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 We got to let the, now this is something they've, they've been here for a while, right? Yeah everyday life um in, in egypt these these israelites it's not like they you know captured them for a week and then right you know and 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 they're you know you know they've been there for a while and they've been doing a lot of stuff in slavery kind of doing the dirty the dirty work so to speak for egypt and i think pharaoh sees that in the back of his mind like if i let these people go life is going to dramatically change in egypt right okay and i think it's also maybe a prideful thing Sure. Pharaoh's sitting there going, look, man, I'm Pharaoh. Like, I don't know who you are, but I'm Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look a few like like, uh, you know, a a chapter back in chapter seven at the beginning, you remember what happened with with the with the with the serpents. Right. And yeah, yeah. Pharaoh brings in his priests and, you know, they have these these snakes that, you know, that and 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 uh, they throw down the rod, Aaron's rod and. And, and it's his staff becomes like a snake that eats all the other snakes, which, by the way, this is an incredible like go to the movies and watch this. Like, if right. This was, right. How cool would it be to be there to be a fly on the wall to see this huge snake just eat all the other snakes? And essentially, yeah. saying, essentially, God just putting a like an exclamation point on this saying, look, man, um, I don't know who you think you are, but I'm God. Right. Right. Uh, and, right. you know you're not as big of a deal as you think you are. And I got right. And that's, and that's, I think that was, even if you go back to chapter five, that was Pharaoh's question. When Moses came to him, his question was essentially, who is the Lord? Like, who is, who is this God? And yeah. it's, and, and it's interesting because I think it's funny that it's not that Pharaoh had a problem with a, this God existing, but it was like Pharaoh's problem was that Moses and Aaron would assume that this God would have authority over Pharaoh. And yeah. so, so that, I mean, that's, I, I think you're absolutely right. That that's Pharaoh's big thing. That's a, it's, it's a, it was a definitely a pride issue for, for Pharaoh. You know, I'm convinced in 2021 that more of us are walking around in bondage than, than we ever have mm. uh, it, to an extent um, because, you know, here is, is an opportunity for, for these people to be free. God says, I want you to be free. I want to be able to rid you of, of all these frogs, fair. I want to be able to get rid of this stuff from you. I want to be able to do these things. Tell me when you want it to happen. Yeah. And in my mind, Pharaoh could have said, all right, right now, like, you know, just get over here. Right. I, yeah. I need here now. Yeah. Um, send Moses, send Aaron, whatever you got to do, turn, push a button, God, whatever it is that you got to do and make it happen. Right. And yet, as we said, he, he, he said tomorrow, God, God is willing to do that. And there's a lot of us who I think go around today. God, I want, I want to be free of all this stuff, right? Yeah. But I'll get around to it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'll get around to it when, when there's time, when, when I have time. Because right now my life, I got, I got other things I got to do that are more important. Right. Do you think maybe it is, uh, it could also be a, a priority issue? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I like, I like that thought that you just, that you just made the concept of Pharaoh recognizing that if he makes this decision to let him go, 
life in Egypt is going to drastically change. And for people today, God, I want to experience freedom. Well, God says, I want you to, and here's how you can by surrendering your life, you know, to me. But that means that my life is going to drastically look different. And even though we want freedom, do we really want, do we really want surrender the way that the Lord, you know, requires of us? And I think that kind of maybe goes back to the whole old adage that we love the thought of Jesus as savior, but the thought of Jesus as our master, (laughs) Yeah, that's a little, that's a, that's a whole nother level, but you can't have one without the other. And so I think that, that our priority of our own, and this is just, this is the, the, the war that is waged inside of humans ever since the very beginning that we want to be our own God, you know, and that's, and that priority of our control and comfort above and over anything else is, is that sin struggle inside each and every one of us. So I, I think, yeah, it's, that's a huge, huge problem. You know, in 2008, uh, Nike released a slogan that said, yesterday, you said tomorrow. (laughs) And uh, they kind of rolled this out among schools, basically saying, telling these athletes that nothing gets done without training today, right? Yeah. you're not going to be on the football team if you don't get in the gym today. If you don't start training today, you're not going to make it tomorrow. You know, if you don't, you don't go to class, you know, you're not going to graduate, um, whatever the case may be tomorrow. Um, Jay Bruce, a guy from the Yankees, played for the Yankees just recently. Yeah, yeah. Big Reds guy, got his bobblehead, which, by the way, look at this, man. This is my bobblehead of the week. Yes. I, put one on my, I got, I'm up to like, I forget how many I have now, but I got a bunch. This is Aaron Harang, man. Nice. Uh, so Aaron Harang got to sit on my desk this week, but, um, but I got a Jay Bruce one and Jay yeah. Bruce, man, I love Jay Bruce watching it. Me play. too. And I was really bummed. Yeah. One of the things that he said this week was he said, um, I'm really just, they're like, what are you going to do now that you're retiring? You know, and you're, he's yeah. in his thirties, you know, and he's like, uh, you know what? I'm going to just um, I'm going to take my, my girls to school and I'm also going to just enjoy summer for the first time. Like he's like ever since I was in high school, like ever since I was a kid, every yeah. summer was training. I, I don't yeah. know if anybody he's like, I've never had a summer in my life since I was like really little. Um, Jay Bruce doesn't get to where he's at in baseball if he's if he's not training. And and I think yeah. I think that's kind of what Nike was alluding with is yesterday you said tomorrow. But if you don't start today, you'll never reach where you're where you're headed um, yeah. for tomorrow. Um and the thing I've discovered is that people they exist today, but they live either in yesterday. And they never step in tomorrow because the tomorrow that God has for them is because they, they refuse to do something right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think procrastination may be the number one enemy of, of success. I mean, you just think about it in any, in any context, you know, yeah. um, you know, athletic, you know, educational, you know, any kind of success that you, you desire. Um, if procrastination is a habit, that's, that's going to be the number one enemy toward to you reaching your goals. And it, and it doesn't, it's the same thing spiritually, you know, procrastination is, is the number one enemy. And, and, and I think 
and especially in the context of of Pharaoh, because if if, if just for a second, if I could, yeah. if, if, even if you zoom out and go a little bit more macro on the ten plagues with Pharaoh, I I think procrastination. You when you procrastinate, you lose. Not only do you lose credibility with the people that you're around, and I think especially Pharaoh as a leader, I think he probably lost a lot of credibility. But I think you lose so much opportunity when you procrastinate and. And you look at the 10 plagues, there is this kind of shift, right? The first five plagues, after the first five plagues happen, the Bible says something like Pharaoh hardened his heart or his heart yeah. was hard, right? Yeah. And then the second five, you know this, the second five, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And yeah. there's this big shift after the first five. And it was almost if five times God was giving Pharaoh an opportunity an opportunity to have a second chance, an opportunity to humble himself and to let the Israelites go, an opportunity for even Pharaoh himself to repent, you know, yeah. and, and, to, and God over and over. And now the fact that God would give him five chances, right? Pharaoh, who's like this, like epitome of evil, right? Is yeah. like this, the, the most evil character that the Bible in the biblical narrative up until this point, right? right? It's like this, the fact that God would give this guy five opportunities to repent and to turn is number one, it's just a fascinating thing about the grace of God, but Pharaoh sure. squandered all of those opportunities. Yeah. And then, and then now God is like, okay, I've given you enough opportunities. Now I'm going to turn your evil for my own purposes. And, and kind of, we know, we know the rest of the story, but I think when we allow the habit of procrastination to creep into our lives, I, I, I can't imagine how many opportunities I've missed in life because I procrastinated with something. Oh, that's good. I, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how, um, he had all of this stuff right in front of him. I mean, he's, I mean, this is just, this is just plague number two. If you, you know, right. if you, you know, let alone all these other plagues that are, that are going to come around and it's, and it's like, God is saying, look, man, I can, in, in, in our own sense in 2021, it's like God saying, Hey, in his own way, I can get rid of the frogs. So I guess the question for a lot of people today are what are the frogs in your life? Like, like yeah. what are the frogs in your life that are keeping you from saying yes today or keeping you from, from um, really truly being all that God wants you to be and kind of making God real. Cause I think for a lot of people, God is um, you know, we, we say he's real, but the way we live our life a lot of times is almost as if we have this like fairy tale where, you know, we just, you know, we, right. we show up at church and we sing some songs and give in the offering plate, hear a cute sermon. And, you know, we just kind of go on with what's real in life. Right. Right. I, um, and, and I think that it's in the times when, you know, the, I think it's in the times, especially when all the frogs are around us, that that's when we're more apt to, to hear from or lean into it, lean into God. I mean, if Pharaoh, that's why he was crying out because there were all the frogs around them. Um, but then when the frogs are gone, you know, we're like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't necessarily need God. And then yeah. when the next, you know, set of frogs go, it's amazing to me that Pharaoh could have, I mean, it could have, it could only have been, it could only have been two plagues, you yeah. know, and we yeah. didn't, the, the next eight weren't needed. Um, yeah. But I do. I, I think you're right. I think for, 
each of us, we got to kind of identify what are those, what are those frogs in our life and realize that God is, God is always providing a way out. He's always providing an opportunity for us to overcome what those things are. He's always leading us to something greater and better, even when we don't understand, even when we necessarily may not be able to see around the corner the way that, the way that God can. But, uh, I think that we get so nearsighted in the sense that all we do is see what's right in front of us at the moment. And sometimes we just have to, sometimes we have to zoom out to see the bigger picture, um, to see, you know, really what God is doing all around us. Um, and that's just hard to do, you know, because we get so wrapped up in what's going on right now, right today. And it just, it's difficult. At at some point, I think in our lives, if, you know, if we, we equate it to today, um, at some point, Jesus has to become literal to us, right? Like, you know, like I said, some, sometimes he becomes that figure that we see in the, on the, you know, the kids' Bibles or the, you know, the, right. the of G- he becomes this really, you know, and, and uh, uh, actually one of the episodes uh, of the podcast, we were talking about how like different people view Jesus, like, you know, we, we turn him into like, like Will Ferrell said, you know, the eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus, no, baby whatever Jesus, Jesus that, yeah, whichever, whichever Jesus that, that we make him out to be. And at some point yeah. we have to be real and just say, Hey man, this, this guy is who he says he was. And we're not just singing songs about him. Like, like right. the Christian lifestyle is a literal legit thing. Right. Right. Um, right. Why, why, why do you think people struggle with that? Like, why do you think people struggle with Jesus becoming literal in their life? Um, I think, I think number one, it's hard for people when something is not tangible right in front of them. Um, and I also think that especially, and maybe it's just in our culture and the people that we're around in in our nation, but I think that people, people struggle to do the, the necessary mental work required to understand that Jesus was an actual historical figure that Jesus actually walk the earth and that the most important question that anybody can ask in their entire life is who do they really think Jesus is? Yeah. And I think that, I think for a lot of people, they were just raised told, you know, you believe this because that's what your parents told you, your grandparents told you, but they were never ever challenged to do the, the, the work that it takes to realize just how literal of a figure Jesus was and the implications of his claims on, on every person's life, you know, because if, if, and I know, I think you talked about this on a previous podcast, but like the claims of Jesus, if you just look at what Jesus claimed about himself, nobody else has made any kind of crazy claims the way that Jesus made, you know, and, and, and all the claims that he made about himself, but we just, we're not certain that there's, there's, I think there is a lack of uh, attention and, and intellectual work that we have trained people to do in order to 
really understand the implications of that. For, for far too long, people have just been told, you know, we believe this just because and don't ask questions. Just go you know, along with it. Yeah. Just go along with it. And, and, you know, kind of a Sunday school version of faith. And then people get out into the world and realize that their Sunday school version of faith doesn't necessarily match up to reality. So how sure. in the world is that faith grown with them? And I just think that we have done an injustice by not training people to do the intellectual and mental work required to really understand, again, like you said, the reality of Jesus and, and how that reality, even though we are separated um, by time and culture from, you know, from when Jesus lived, we can still, there's, there's so much that we can learn and so much that we can get. And, and if we do that work, I just think that for far too long, we've told people, don't ask questions. We believe it just because, um, and, and we haven't been trained actually to have those kinds of conversations and do that work. And I think, I think for a lot of people, it's that, because, you know, people that I talk to today, when you start having these conversations, when you talk, start talking, you know, just a little bit about apologetics and how do you defend the Christian faith and the reality of Jesus? I mean, there's some just basic things that are revolutionary to some people. And I just think for a lot of people that, that, that effort and that work, they weren't trained to do that in the first place, but then it's just kind of lost on them, you know, in our current context. Do you think that people get to a point where um, they realize um, I need to get rid of these frogs? Like I, I, I need to get my life right with the Lord, um, you know, and they're really close, right? They're, they're really close to doing it, but, but they get into this mindset that, you know what? Um, I'm going to have this moment when I, when I get ready to die, that I'm going to have this kind of this last second, like I'll be able to get my life right when I, you know, right before I get sick or right when I get sick or, you yeah. know, you know, do you think, do you think that happens more than not where there's so many people who are like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get right with Jesus tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think, um, who said it? Does Solomon say it that, um, death is death is the destiny of every man, yeah. but it's the living, the living who should take this to heart. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting to have conversations with people when they're confronted with the reality of death. Um, you know, just, you just think about the conversations that you've had as a pastor with people at funerals and things like that. It's just a different, it's just a different mindset that people are in yeah. and it's, it's brief. And again, cause we're so short-sighted, We'll set in that reality that, man, death could come at any time. We'll set in that reality for a moment, but then after a few days, it kind of goes away. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that when people are kind of confronted with the reality of, of death or the reality of the end of the world, they, they do think about it a little bit differently. But ultimately, there is a, there's a battle um, that's going on, and, and we can, I think we can definitely accredited a lot to the work of Satan, you know, yeah. working in the world that, that allows people to say, you know what, but tomorrow I'll do it. Tomorrow I'll do it. Why? Because again, the comfort of today and the way that my life is today, I'm cool with for now, yeah. you know? Um, and then really until you have, you know, that you have a relationship or you have, um, you know, there's, there's a conviction of the Holy spirit that is working in the lives of people that brings them, it brings them to a place. It is, I think for a lot of people, they have this mentality that maybe later, maybe later, maybe later. 
Yeah, it, there's there's definitely a sense of urgency that the Bible teaches us, right? I mean that yeah. it's, that it's that it's uh, now. I mean, like I said, we, we're seeing it even all the way back in Exodus, where you know there's this sense of hey, um, if this doesn't happen, um, cause it's, cause it's not our terms and we try to turn it into our terms, you know, or, right. or, or, or it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you go to the dentist, right. It's like, I don't know about you, but I hate going to the dentist, right. Uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not a big fan. And so, you know, you, 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 you realize, Hey man, there, there might be a cavity there. Um, I got to get it taken care of, but man, I really don't want to call the dentist. Right. right. Or, or right. this health problem that, Hey, maybe I need to get this checked out. Uh, but I don't do it because I'm afraid of what results that I might get. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, or whatever it is. And I think so often that's, that's what we, we, we do uh, in, in regards to a relationship with Christ and, and, and two kind of what yeah. we're saying is, is we just, we brush it under the rug um and, and say, hey, we'll get back to it later, except we never get back to it later because we always push it off later, you know. And, yeah. and so and, and so I think what you said earlier about the stress thing was, is huge. We, we kind of stress out about it. And two, uh, like we said, um, priorities, uh, we, 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 we kind of prioritize other things because we don't really believe that Jesus is this literal guy, man, for not everybody, but a lot of people, man, we don't, sure. we, don't we don't, we don't believe that. And, you know, uh, James chapter four teaches us that, uh, I think it's chapter four where James teaches us that life is, but, uh, it's just a mist, man. It, it's here mm-hmm. and then it's gone. And you know, as well as I do, like growing up, man, I used to think that, uh, the only people who need to worry about death was like people in their, you know, eighties. Right. Know, you know, and then as I got older and, and I don't know if it's just me or not, but man, I feel like, you know, growing up versus now you see people die all the time at like mm-hmm. a younger age. Um, life is short, man. Yeah. And uh, I, I was just I was just uh, watching. You're going to laugh at this. Um, me and my daughter, we uh, at bedtime, we will um, like each night we'll watch five minutes of a, of a Disney movie right okay. or five or ten minutes and uh the one that we picked the other night she actually picked this one um i hate that she picked it you ever seen the movie up oh yeah yeah the balloon the balloons yeah the, yeah, the, yeah. Guy, the first 10 minutes of that movie wrecked my life man oh dude it's so yeah. sad it, and it's sad because you know he grows up with this he grows up with this girl and uh, they get older and they have these dreams of, you know, going to this where this huge waterfall is and, right. you know, and, 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 and she doesn't make it. They never make it there. And, and he loses wife, man. And it's, it's super, super sad. You know, and me and my daughter are laying there watching it the other night and like, there's like tears coming out of my face and she's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah. never pick this movie again. Right. Because. It's kind of like, you know, any of those, a lot of those Disney movies, man, Lion King's the right. same. Oh, man, I can't stand that one. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. Yes, yeah. but, but, but the reason is, is because, and I know she was a little bit older in the movie, but, but the reason is, is man, life is, life is short. And, and as many times as people tell us, hey, don't miss a moment. I mean, you got four, right. four kids, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, people have probably told you, hey, man, enjoy it now. Yep. Because one day they'll be old and off and make having their own families or whatever, mm-hmm. or make the most of this moment. Yeah, um, there's something about us that we re, we we don't. It's not really real where we get to a point where we go. You know what? 
you know, I'll get around to it, except for the fact that as, as Jesus's half brother said, Hey, life is short, man. Yeah. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you know, Paul, Paul said in second Corinthians six that, you know, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And I think that, you know, for, for those who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, this conversation is really important. But I also think for believers, um, we, we need to seriously consider this conversation too, because how many sure. of us, you know, when we think about the great commission, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll tell my, I'll tell my friend tomorrow about Jesus Ooh, or, you know, I'll start, uh, you know, I'll start, uh, working on my anger tomorrow, or I'll start trying to be generous tomorrow. Like yes. you even think about it from the side of a, a believer, yeah. whereas, you know, Jesus said, Hey, go teach everybody to obey everything I've commanded them. And we, yeah. in this process of growing and maturing in, 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 in our discipleship, how many times have we even outside of the conversation of salvation, but as believers have said, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that tomorrow. And you go back, you talk about Jesus' brother, James, you know, yeah. the whole, don't just be hearers of the word, do it. Yeah. Right. And he's not saying do it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right now we have the opportunity to follow and to obey and to live out the great commission. Um, but for many of us, we, um, we, we say tomorrow. And I think again, because of our procrastination, we lose so many opportunities that God wants to put right in front of us. And I know that for a lot of people, it's, you know, a lot of people are afraid of, you know, what's going to happen. And maybe, maybe that's where, again, going back to Pharaoh, maybe that's where he was. It was just fear and pride and all of that wrapped up in the one of afraid of what was going to happen. If you made this decision to let them go, how many times do we do that? You know, we don't talk to our neighbor. We don't talk to our coworker because we're afraid of, of what's going to happen. Yeah. But how many opportunities have we lost because we've said, I'll do it tomorrow and, you know, I think that for believers, I think it's just as important. Absolutely. Man, I love that twist that you just put on it because that is so true. Uh, it's a, it's a two way street there, man. It's a, yeah. um, and, and I, and, and, and you know what, it's really sad to me when I, when I hear people say that and it almost like it, it takes like, you know, someone dying in someone's family or, or, you know, something serious to happen in someone's life for them to really start thinking about like, Hey, yeah. maybe I probably need to get right with Jesus or, or maybe I need to tell this person, like you said about Jesus, or maybe I need to, you know, uh, shake this, this addiction that I have in my life or right. what, whatever it is that they got, man. Um, putting it off doesn't fix the problem. It actually makes it worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah. let me, let me ask you this and I don't want to take too much of your time, but I want to ask you this question. Okay. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who might be listening to this, who maybe is in that ballpark right now, right. Where they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're really struggling with either a um, beginning a relationship with Christ or B they already have a relationship with Christ and they're, they're struggling um, by putting off some sort of thing that they need to, uh, address today, whether it be sharing Jesus with them, yeah, whatever. What would you get? What piece of advice would you give someone who's in that ballpark right now? Yeah. Um, well, let me answer that. Let me answer it in two ways. First to the person who is, who is hesitant 
um, as far as giving their life to Jesus. Um, I would simply say from a, from just a personal, my personal testimony um, is that Jesus will make your life better. Jesus will make your life better. Um, and you may not understand all of it. You may not believe all of it quite yet. Um, but be around Jesus more. Um, and Jesus will make your life better. I think that when you look at what Jesus offers, um, that you take away the, you take away the eternity and eternal life thing. Yeah. And you just take, you just take the, the, the values of Jesus and the morality of Jesus. Um, it will, it will make your life better. And you may never come to actually believe who Jesus said he was, but I promise you your life will be better if yeah. you, if you at least spend some time around him. And there were plenty of people who did not fully understand or believe exactly what Jesus said or, or understood exactly what Jesus was getting at. But the more and more they were around him, the more and more obviously they came to, to believe. So I would say that if you're on the fence, I would say that, that Jesus will make your life better. And, and why not, why not, why not try? Why not give Jesus, you know, why not give Jesus a chance and, and and see. And again, you, you don't, you don't have to believe in order to follow and be around Jesus. And so, you know, I would like anything, I would say, give it, give it a chance and see the effect that it has on your life. Yeah. Give it a chance. Now, secondly, to people who are, um, who are believers and who may be like, man, I share in my faith or, or walking out in obedience in this, that I'm a little bit you know, scared or whatever, I would, I would give this encouragement. And, uh, my brother-in-law once told me this and I've always held on to it. Um, is that as a follower of Jesus, Jesus does not call us to be successful. Jesus calls us to be obedient. And, and a lot of times when it comes to sharing our faith or it comes to making disciples, a lot of our fear is that I don't know how successful I'll be, or I don't know if I will, you know, if people are going to turn me down. But, but Jesus has called to us is not to be successful. It's to be obedient. And a lot of people, you know, talk about, you know, I want to, I want to have the courage to do this. God, give me the courage, give me the boldness. But it's amazing when you read, you know, through the gospels, when you read the the book of Acts and you read about the disciples, you know, in the early church, their boldness came after they made a decision to be obedient. And so Jesus is calling us not to success, but he's calling us to obedience and obedience and a, and a lifestyle of obedience is what grows courage and grows boldness um, inside of us. It's not like you're going to be given boldness and then you can go be obedient, yeah. you know? And so it's it's that just stepping out in obedience is what continues to to build courage and build boldness. And and yeah, Jesus, our, our, our call is not to be successful. Our call is to obey what Jesus told us to do. Yeah, God, God, never, God never asked us to do his part. He just said to do ours. Right. We, right. we do ours and he'll do his, right? So that's good yeah. information. Man, thank you so yeah. much for jumping on here today. I know you uh, have a busy life and things are going crazy, but man, I really appreciate you just uh, hopping on and just giving me an hour of your time today. Uh, it's been so good to uh, to have you on the show today. You know, brother, I appreciate it. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for all you're doing.
praying for you out in Missouri, man, and uh, God bless. This has been a Behind the Micah podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you check us out next week. And remember, we're always striving to love God, love others, and serve both.